Ryan Hartwig was a content moderator for nearly two years working for Cognizant, subtracted by Facebook in Phoenix, Arizona. He reviewed and deleted groups, pages, posts, comments, and videos for Facebook and Instagram. Ultimately, after noticing many trends that favored liberal viewpoints and banned conservative ideologies, Ryan wrote letters to several congressmen, congresswomen, and senators. After no response, he then reached out to Project Veritas to expose the bias and misconduct he had witnessed. Since going public in June 2020, Ryan has done more than 170 interviews. His efforts have led to a criminal referral to the DOJ from Mark Zuckerberg, and he also aided in an FEC complaint against Facebook and the John James versus Gary Peters U.S. Senate race in Michigan. Since then, he has been working with Social Media Freedom Foundation founder Jason Fick, who filed the first ever constitutional challenge to Section 230 in April 2022, asserting that it lacks the lawful exercise of executive, legislative, or judicial oversight and is arguably unconstitutional in its current form. During our interview, Facebook whistleblower Ryan Hartwick explains how they have made massive strides and why it may finally go to the Supreme Court as an emergency case. I ask Ryan, if 230 is declared unconstitutional, do you envision big tech companies allowing for true content freedom on their platforms? Or will they try to fight it? And for those banned from Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, what do you foresee as a path to getting their accounts restored? I'm Sienna May Heath, and this is Leaving the Left for Liberty. So, Jason Fick, who is the founder of Social Media Freedom Foundation, is suing the government for the law that empowered Facebook to take action to censor certain critical information, as we know, and that law is Section 230. Um, I saw Jason tweeted last week that I challenged the United States over Section 230 for denying me my day in court due process. Their response yesterday was to try and deny me my day in court. I'm not suing the U.S. over Facebook's actions. I'm suing the U.S. over the government's unconstitutional implementation of 230. So to be clear, Jason is suing the federal government, not Facebook, right? Right. So Jason Fick, yeah, he already tried suing Facebook and it went to the Supreme Court in January of 2021 and they declined to hear the case. And so basically he hasn't had his day in court. So now he has standing to sue the government. That's why you don't see everyone just suing the government instantly. Like we've seen lawsuits from Trump and, and different people against big tech, but it's always been against the company. So this one, yeah, he's, he's now suing uh, the U.S. government. He filed the, the constitutional challenge in April and it's Basically, there's a lot of legal doctrine, doctrines regarding his, his uh, constitutional challenge. But yes, he's suing the government basically saying um, Section 230 isn't unconstitutional to begin with. We, I can go more in detail about some of the legal doctrines. But yeah, he's suing the government itself. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and, and you play an interesting role in working with him because you were one of the prominent Facebook whistleblowers at Project Veritas a couple years ago. Um, so over the past four years, since you've gotten to know Jason, what has been his journey in crusading for social media freedom? What has been your role in working with him? Yeah, so we met in uh, December of 2020. 
So I've known him for about two years. And because uh, I went public in June of, June of 2020, of course, uh, but he's involved, been involved in this since at least 2018. I mean, he has, he started his Facebook, you know, empire basically with his pages and groups uh, back in uh, as early as 2014. So he's been in this for a while, but, um, and, and so, uh, yeah, so we've worked together since then fairly closely. I became an officer in his nonprofit this past December. And so, uh, no, it's been good. Like he's really educated me about section 230. It's still very complex. Like even, even I have a hard time grasping some of the, the concepts, but Jason does a great job at explaining it. And so, yeah, we've worked together. <clears throat> so his, his constitutional challenge, uh, you know, I, I even provided some of my evidence from my, from my book and uh, in his, in his challenge. So when I filmed with him in camera for nine months, some of that evidence I, I, I uncovered is, is part of his lawsuit and his challenge. Excellent. And who is he exactly? And like, what, what is his incentive for going on this crusade of all these lawsuits? Yeah. So he, Jason Fix, uh, you know, he's uh, from the uh, East coast, there, I believe Pennsylvania, but he, you know, he had all these pages. He was making really good money from Facebook, but he wasn't using, paying a lot towards his advertisements. There were other companies who would pay more, pay Facebook more for Facebook ads. So that could be a reason why, but he had pages that had more than a total of like, you know, 20 million, 30 million likes. And so he was making good money and Facebook basically took down his page and they sold it, sold it to someone else. <clears throat> and so that that's his crusade is like, you know, it was just totally unfair. And, and um, it, it's almost like a, like a criminal type enterprise where, you know, it's, it's like hush money. It's like, okay, if you pay us, enough we'll we'll keep you safe you know we'll keep you keep your profits coming and so so that have so yeah that's that's when he started suing facebook like in 2018 and he's he's gonna he's done a lot he's been working on this a long time i mean there's a good the guy's a so he's a multimillionaire because of his all the money he made um from these pages and whatnot and he's sunk a lot of his his savings into this like he's and it's been been really tough um for him to fight this financially obviously but um, yeah, I love working with them. He's, he's, he's the founder of the Social Media, Media Freedom Foundation. And we've got this, yeah, the constitutional challenge. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that he is in Eastern Pennsylvania. I am too. <laughs> yeah, not, not, uh, it's not typical for me to connect with like fellow dissidents in this area. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where he is at and where, I, where I, he's at? I honestly don't know what part of Pennsylvania, to be honest. Okay. Um, when when we met, we met in Florida, and mm -hmm. so uh, I don't know specifically where, but uh, yeah. Okay. What's the nature of some of his major businesses? So I, I know the I know some of the pages had. Let's see. This was during the George Floyd era. I think there were some issues, some mention of police activity, and he was talking about police justice at one point. So I, I know some of the pages had a theme related to that. I don't. I honestly don't know some of the topics or things of his ever other Facebook pages. Mm. Um, but um, oh, yeah. So. But yeah, I imagine any counter narratives to the George Floyd story would have tipped Facebook off. Yeah, or that was it. What was the other guy back in um, twenty fourteen? It wasn't George Floyd. It was uh, Trayvon Martin. There's Trayvon Martin. There's another big one. The one that started it all, I think, in Missouri. Uh, I'm not sure which one it was, but 
but yeah, any anything that you, it's countering the narrative, <clears throat> and I think Facebook was realizing back then, you know, how much they could really influence the the media narrative on a national level, because you know, we saw it really it started you know taking taking root. I think with 2020, 2008, 2012, Obama really used social media very effectively, and so we see how. Yeah, like it just became such a powerhouse, such an easy tool to to shape opinions. Yeah, and it seems in a way natural and not surprising that there would be a collusion between big government and big tech. And we've seen that progress, like I guess over the past decade, if not more. Um, you sent me a great article on human events. It's, it, if anyone wants to look it up, it's called U.S. Government Scrambling to Dodge First Constitutional Challenge of Section 230. And we can put that in the show notes, too. Um, and there's a line from there that I think just like sums up a lot of this pretty well. It mm-hmm. goes, it is no secret that Section 230 is poorly written. Just last week, President Joe Biden called for its removal albeit from or for different reasons than Fike, than Jason Fike. It takes a uniquely problematic, sorry, oh, what? Sorry, I was, uh, Jason oh, sorry, Fick. Fick. I said, yeah, yeah, Jason, no Jason Fick. Of course, <laughs> I, was, I was trying so hard to remember, and then I said it the opposite way. Thank you, <laughs> Fick. Um, <laughs> different reasons than Fick. It takes a uniquely problematic piece of legislation to earn the impassioned disapproval of both sides. And that, that is really interesting. Like anytime any piece of legislation or just any issue um, is hated from both sides. It really makes you think twice. Um, so that brings me to a question that's been on my mind is um, if Section 230 is declared unconstitutional at the Supreme Court level, which it seems like it might be because Jason's lawsuit's moving forward, do you envision big tech companies allowing for true content freedom on their platforms or do you think they'll find ways to fight it? Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to try to always try to find ways to fight it. And, they, and they've got so many lobbyists in D.C. Um, but, but the Supreme Court, yeah, our best case is <clears throat> going to the Supreme Court. Um, so if and we have a chance of going there. Um, um, yeah. So if if Section 230 was declared unconstitutional, uh, it would be it would be, be dependent on whether on it would be whether it's in its entirety or in part. So they'd have to decide, okay, is the entire law unconstitutional or just part of it? So they could modify it or remove the parts that are wrong and, and interpret it the right way. And so, um, yeah, it's all about like sites, you know, the websites and social media, they'd be less, they'd be less incentivized to remove a lot of lawful content uh, since their actions, like they are subject to liability. So basically, <clears throat> if, they re, if they reinterpreted the law, companies would be have less incentive to like take down your you know, posts about like political posts because um, so they can't, they can't be sued for censorship because they have a first minute, right? It only means that unlawful actions would finally be subject to the, to the trial on, to trial on merits. So if you unlawfully take down my free, my free speech, then I could, I could go to court. And so there'd be a way to, to actually go to court. So and what, what Jason's experience right now is even with this constitutional challenge, they're trying to shut it down and saying, Nope, you don't have due process. You don't have a Fifth Amendment. So in that article you mentioned from Human uh, Human Events, yeah. So f- last week we got the response back from the government. So we filed in April, and they had this entire time to review the the challenge, which it is long. It's 133 pages. So the day they came back with the response, they said, "Hey, can you make it shorter?" And then they said, "Oh, you're you're this is a shotgun pleading. A shotgun pleading is when 
it's like you just purposely make it really long to make to see if something will stick like i'm just going to throw out all these bunch of legal theories maybe one of them will work right so that that's a um shotgun pleading so they're like okay it's too long well it's not too long it's been 25 years of bad precedent it's very complex and then they said oh the jurisdiction is wrong and the standing is wrong so so first of all okay you have you have standing jason has standing he already sued facebook he went to the supreme court they chose not to hear it so you have standing. And then jurisdiction, like who wrote the law? Congress. Where does Congress reside? In DC. So like where else are we supposed to sue the government except in DC? And so I don't know if they just don't understand his lawsuit, if they even read it, honestly, because they asked for an extension. But um, yeah, so so if if it is, if I, I would I would say that the Supreme Court probably interpret would interpret it the correct way, they de- declare part of it unconstitutional um and it, it would just mean it would you wouldn't you couldn't like sue facebook for everything but if they're taking down like clearly like posts that are not against the law then you would have a course to to basically sue them or yeah hmm. what would you say to the rebuttal that well it's a private company and if you don't like their platform just find a new one yeah so um they are a private company, but they're using authority that was delegated by the government. And so, uh, and that's a, a key part of the, of the lawsuit and the challenge is uh, the non-delegation doctrine. So you look at the EPA, for example, there was a lawsuit in June, a huge lawsuit, or I'm sorry, case with the Supreme Court in June with the EPA. And basically the, the Supreme Court said, hey, Congress gave you that authority. You can't just be, you can't just make up other rules as you go. Because the EPA was setting the limits, the caps for emissions and pollution and whatnot. And so the, the Supreme Court said basically, actually, Congress has to decide that. So same thing here. Congress delegated that authority to restrict um, you know, free speech, basically. And so if you, you come to me and say, yeah, it's a private company. Yeah, I did agree to your terms. But the only reason Facebook hasn't been sued out of existence is because Congress gave them those protections. Um, and does Congress even have that authority in the first place to restrict, uh, like lawful speech? Right. Um, well, no, so, we have the first amendment. Right. So they're basically treating like a company as a citizen who can restrict the speech of other people. So it's, it's really like bogus. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's an intense example of collusion. Right. Yeah. And, and we've seen that recently, like the, the collusion aspect and, you have to realize like so they're acting as a basically an agent of the state and i like the epa example so um for example if the epa went to like a tribal reservation and they're like oh hey uh you know we, we've been we've got the authority from congress you can't you're not allowed to have any types of any trout in this river anymore and so the tribal leaders are like what like we can't have trout in this river like yeah we just made up the law like that's the new law moving forward that's essentially the power that they had and that's why the supreme court was like hey this is this guy this is has to stop so that's what's happening with facebook they're just making up the rules as they go um and they it's kind of like it's kind of like this free free willing censorship and so um yeah it's it's a big issue i mean you think about private versus public if i go to mcdonald's and and I'm, I'm causing, I'm throwing things around, I'm causing trouble. You know, they're gonna wanna kick me out, but they may have to call law enforcement. 
And so law enforcement is the government, the cover, a government agent would come and, and trespass me from the property, right? What's happening right now is Facebook saying, oh, we have our own police force, we're our own police. And so they would, um, that, that's what's happening right now. It's, a, it's like the Facebook police. And then thinking about, if you think about it that way, <clears throat> that Facebook's an agent of the state, the community standards, the rules, like when they delete my content, that's basically penal code. It's like, okay, you're <clears throat> arresting me. You're putting me in jail, so to speak. And I have no recourse. I can't have an attorney. So yeah, that, those are some major issues. Yeah. What's something that you've had taken down? Something that I had taken down? Yeah. So I, so I, I was a content censor. Um, so I, was, I would delete other people's content. I personally haven't had too many things taken down uh, from from Facebook, like my posts. But one one like clear cut example that just shows you how crazy the rules are is, and they're very they're very specific. It, one example is if I say keep Canadians out of the United States. Okay, at one point in time that was a delete for hate speech. So I would I would get the content on my screen. I would, the phrase would say keep Canadians out of the United States, I'd review part three of the hate speech policy for exclusion uh, and saying, oh, this is excluding someone from, um, from Im immigrating or whatever. And so I, I would delete that content. Uh, that's one example of kind of something that shouldn't have, shouldn't have been taken down, but it was because I'm, I'm really basically discussing immigration, right? Um, I don't, yeah, is, I don't know if that's, you want another example or does that? Well, that um, we could actually get into those documents you leaked about vaccines. <clears throat> yeah. Because those are really good examples and very timely. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm just pulling up the Gateway Pundits article about that new docs reveal Facebook's pre-COVID vaccine policies. As you've reminded me, like there are plenty of other vaccines and there were vaccine policies before COVID yeah. for the workplace. Um, so this is pretty recent. It was just earlier this month that you released a bunch of documents and yeah. I was just scrolling through this article and some of the examples, um, like specific examples that Facebook gave of violating claims just mm -hmm. sounds like common sense to me or claims that I've heard medical professionals state repeatedly. Yeah. Um, for example, natural immunity is safer than vaccine required immunity. Yeah, like I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. insane. Um, so basically, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll pull up actually some of those screenshots and we can look at those sure. uh, in greater detail. When you yeah, well, here. yeah, while you're pulling that up, I, I, there's another one that says it, it, it is unsafe to follow the medically recommended vaccine schedule for children and better to space out vaccines over the over additional years. Wow. That's violating, oh, yeah. but I've heard I've I've heard medical professionals state that time and time again to space yeah. out vaccines for children. So you're pulling up some of those documents you leaked about Facebook's vaccine policies pre-COVID. Yeah, exactly. So let me pull up these um, these photos here. All right, can you see my screen? Yeah. Okay, you can see the browser there. So yeah, this is one example. It's, it's kind of I'll, I'll zoom in a little bit. Um, so the, these are ones that we, this is talking about fundraisers. So we do not allow fundraisers which make any of the following claims. <clears throat> a claim is defined as support of the below information. So 
anything that's talking about a fundraiser. So if you say uh, vaccines are not effective in preventing, preventing the disease against what they, which they purport to protect, and you're doing a fundraiser of some kind, then they would not allow you to raise money. Or if you say natural immunity is safer than vaccine acquired immunity, boom, they would shut down your fundraiser. So that's pretty incredible. And mm. then um, they talk, it also talks about the, the tech, hashtag text. So some of the hashtags are just violating in and of themselves. So if I say hashtag vaccine cause autism, then that would be an that would be a violating hashtag. So it doesn't matter what else I put in the content, that hashtag by itself is violating. Yeah, and I see non-violating examples are anti-vax, vaccine infect, and vaccine truth. Right. So that's good, I guess, that those don't that and, the, and, those aren't considered violating. Yeah, and this was 2019, so this was before. Uh, before COVID, and then they can always change these policies literally whenever they want to. Um, and let's look at the next one here. So top only. So this is basically talking about uh, the hashtags, how the hashtag. So if a hashtag is violating, of course, it wouldn't show up in the results. Um, and what does block mean? We will block a hashtag where it inherently violates. So there's hashtags that we would, you know, for good reason, you'd delete, but they wouldn't allow like suicides, you know, or ANA stands for anorexia, pro-anorexia, someone that supports, that supports anorexia. Um, so the hashtag cannot be followed, can't be searched. And then, oh, this is great. So these are some examples of misinformation. Hmm. So if I claim, yeah, nat if I claim natural immunity is safer than vaccine immunity, um, then, then that example is violating. So if I put all these examples like ear infections, chronic illness, learning disorders, ear drainage, allergy, all those examples are violating. So um, let's look at a few more examples. Um, if I claim vaccines cause autism, then that's, that's violating. Uh, so here they... There was a link to our article that says CDC forced to admit they knew vaccine uh, preservatives cause autism, and that example is violating. So there's even a link, I believe, to an article, um, and, and I don't know if it, they would include peer-reviewed articles, if they would, those would also be misinformation, but um, it's very specific. So this is also very specific here about violating claims. So as you were discussing earlier, um, acquiring measles cannot cause death. It's unsafe to follow the medically recommended vaccine schedule for children and better to space out vaccines over additional years. So there's some doctors who would even, who even recommend spacing out the vaccines, right? So if I'm a doctor and I, and I say that on Facebook, then that would be a violating claim. Mm. And I see something under characteristics, the, the first one, um, could you kind of nudge over yeah. there? Uh, groups yeah. dedicated to holistic natural approach to medicine, including groups dedicated to more quote unquote, Eastern forms of medicine. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a bit racist, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so basically any group that would have, so the, if any subject elements or post content, content does not exhibit any of the below following violent claims, it should be labeled as non-violating. So if you have any group that's dedicated to, yeah, to a holistic approach, then we would take it down. It would be violating. Um, that's like really, really broad. And it makes me think of like big pharma. 
like who benefits the most from a, a holistic you know group getting shut down like big pharma they wouldn't want people getting cured but without their products right um groups emphasizing that whether to vaccine whether to vaccinate is the parents and not the doctor's choice they're in the middle there like wow any group wow okay so trampling <laughs> on parental rights yeah jeez um Groups that question whether doctors' advice can be incentivized by motives other than a patient's best interests, e.g., financial incentives from pharmaceutical companies. Like they even they even say it straight out: you can't question doctors and their motives <laughs> because they get money from pharma, big pharma. <laughs> well, and yeah, and if a doctor does want to speak out, they can't do that either, according to this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You can't share neck personal stories and personal stories of negative experiences. So. Looking at this, it's clear it was pretty easy for Facebook to adapt. Once again, this was 2019. So it was very easy for them to transition from this to when COVID hit. They already had like the same policies in place and they could just adapt it to COVID. Wow. Um, so when you were working at Facebook, were you taking down any posts like this about vaccines? So that, that's, in, that's a good question. So to be honest, I, I did not enforce this policy we didn't we were not enforcing this policy it doesn't mean there were other departments that could have been enforcing it um so there was different types of content that we, we took down so i i didn't get all types of content so uh but me personally i did not delete these claims um but it was this was their their training manual that they that i documented um from 2019 and so they even deleted like meme memes. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Whoever um, created that meme is probably really proud to see it now. <laughs> yeah. Like that was me. <laughs> oh, it actually has a watermark. Can you see that watermark? Yeah. Um, I can't read it. But, no, I but, can't either. So those are a few examples. I, I think I'll stop. Oh, here we go. This is a good one. <clears throat> Violating claim. Uh, so if you say who is the real threat, if you shared this meme here, who is the real threat, non-vaccinated versus vaccinated, cannot infect. So you, basically the claim here is that non-vaccinated cannot infect others and vaccinated can infect others. And they're saying that's violating. So anyways, this is, I mean, <clears throat> as you can see, there's many slides here. There's a lot of different content. I'll go ahead and stop here. So yeah, that wow, <laughs> pretty remarkable. Oh my gosh. Um, and when I went public in June of 2020, there was so much content that I had. Obviously, Project Veritas chose to you know talk about uh, what I had as far as Facebook's policies against straight white males and making exceptions to their policies. But there was so much I had. So in this in the last two years, I've been able to re release a lot of the, that content and a lot of all of that, most all of that content. That's why I wrote my book, Behind the Mask of Facebook, because it has more of those examples. Of that I couldn't really, you know, reveal in the initial interview, and it's the almost 300 pages of, of concrete evidence against Facebook. So. Yeah. Um, hmm. Maybe let's talk more about your time at Facebook and then circle back to Section 230. Yeah. I'm just gonna look. Um, some of the things I've been meaning to ask you. Actually, I wanted to ask you about Mark Zuckerberg himself. Um, I was listening to his podcast with Joe Rogan, his recent mm -hmm. one, yeah. um, and just refreshing my memory on like his journey. And um, yeah, like when considering the origins of Facebook, 
Mark Zuckerberg's backstory is like really pivotal. And he was a little bit of a troublemaker, kind of like a socially awkward troublemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, strange character. Like I, I, I was reminded um, today that he was like hacking private information even when he was a student at, at Harvard. And he yeah. made this platform called Face Smash. He was like ranking hotness of students and like getting in trouble <laughs> for these weird projects that like, you know, either people loved or people hated. Um, so I'm just curious, like, have you, have you ever met Mark Zuckerberg? I've never met him. So some of the, we, so we, we were contracted by Facebook. So I was a third-party contractor. I was working for Cognizant, um, the biggest IT company you've never heard of. And, uh, so we were in Phoenix, Arizona. And so uh, some of our leadership with, with Cognizant, you know, went to Ireland to Facebook headquarters and they had training there. Um, and some other people had had training in Austin at some of Facebook's headquarters in Austin, Texas. So I, I didn't personally um, interact with them. Um, I met a few Facebook employees who would come and visit periodically. Um, but yeah, I mean, his his beginnings and his his back end are fairly interesting. I mean, it's funny because I I actually just recently watched the the movie on Netflix about Steve Jobs and his background, and I've read his his uh, biography, and. Um, like comparing the two, like what was the difference? Like maybe like with Steve Jobs, it was like more of a private enterprise, but with Facebook, it has its roots in like, I believe DARPA and, and there, you definitely think there's, I definitely think there's some government involvement in how it just, it grew so, so quickly. Um, But yeah, his personality, I mean, we've seen him in all these congressional hearings and, and people, there's so many memes about him um, and how he's just kind of like robot-like, you know? Um, or that he's an android or an alien or something, but uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting character. I mean, uh, I love to point out like the the motto, the slogan with Facebook for a long time was "move fast and break things," and maybe that has to do with like his, yeah, his his beginnings as like a hacker or, or whatnot. And uh, they've moved away from that that theme, but they really have broken the internet, uh, not in a good way. Um, Try to control the internet, so. Yeah. What what does that mean to break things in terms of breaking the internet? <laughs> I know. I mean, like their slogan is probably just like, oh, be creative, you know, try new things, move fast, break things. But as far as breaking the internet, I mean, uh, the whole concept, the, uh, you know, the origin of the internet, the, it was supposed to be decentralized and not and be controlled by one government body. And we're seeing the opposite of, the opposite of that happening. So we're having you know, Facebook and Google just really just controlling 90% of the traffic online. Um, and so I, I, I think there's definitely ways, I think we're creative enough to be able to avoid the censorship and, and use blockchain-based social media. Like there's one called Bastion and there's other websites. Um, and of course there's the dark web, which I'm not familiar with at all, but uh, we can definitely avoid like censorship and, and use other sites and, and search engines besides Google. So I use Swiss cow for my search engine. And, um, and then there's browse, you know, browsers like brave that are better than Chrome that don't take all your data and sell it or use it or spy on you. Um, so those are all good steps. I think if for like a free internet, cause you look at, you know, even in, with civil rights. So you look at countries where you can't access the internet without being spied on like China or other countries in the Middle East. And really the internet has done great things in, in protecting human rights. If there's a reporter or someone you know, overseas that can use the Tor browser, that can use encrypted uh, methods to share pass information, 
So it's kind of a double-edged sword because, and that's the way, the way it is with technology because um, it, it can be used for good and bad. So that same encrypted technology can be used by terrorists to plan a bombing. But um, no, it's really fascinating. I, I'm a big fan of science fiction. And I've, there's a book by Isaac Asimov called Caves of Steel. And in Caves of Steel, it talks about this intersection between uh, you know, technology and humanity. And really, that's, that's happened so much in the last 20 years. It's, it's incredible. And so, so yeah, Facebook and social media, well, social media can be a good tool, but we can see how it's being weaponized to take away our free speech and take away, essentially take away our rights. Yeah, I was going to say it's a double-edged sword. I was just thinking that. Um, and what, what concerns do you have about user privacy on Facebook these days? Yeah, as, as far as user, user privacy goes, um, we know like with Cambridge Analytica, that whole scandal that you know, information is farmed or extracted from Facebook and used for political candidates. I'm sure it's used for other you know, data as well, uh, metadata. So I, I, don't, I don't think there is any privacy. I mean, they, they do have standards and I guess they've, they've uh, yeah, they've tried to work on the privacy standards or they say they're working on them. But, you know, if, you're, if your own Facebook employee, if your own employees can go in and look at private messages. Now, I didn't have, the, I didn't have that access to so go and look at private messages, but I've met people at headquarters or who've worked at, head, at headquarters of Facebook who could go in and choose which messages to look at. But even the fact that I'm that a, a direct message shows up on my screen and I'm reviewing the contents of that um, goes to show that that they're probably not taking enough steps to to protect user privacy. It wasn't really my my focus. Like I, I didn't have I wasn't on the team that decided user privacy. But uh, based on what I've researched, it's they could definitely go a long ways. In, oh in wow. Yeah, every so often I'll see a notification pop up or an update and they're like, do these things um, to protect your privacy. And my my distrust is so high that I feel like if I were to do those things, it would actually be counterintuitive. And I just don't, I don't know what the right thing to do is besides just get off, get off Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I haven't logged in in a while on Facebook. I didn't, I didn't like deactivate my account, but I haven't logged in a long time. I know they, they track all your activity on your browsers. I mean, it's the same thing as Amazon. It's like, I will never get like an Alexa in my house. Um, I saw it. Yeah. So yeah, user privacy, it's just really, it's really not there. Um, it's yeah. It's so dangerous. To- well, it's, it's never been Mark Zuckerberg's mission <laughs> to protect no. his user's privacy from the beginning. He was actually very transparent about that. Yeah. Well, when Insta when they bought out Instagram, I think one of the board members of Instagram like quit because of what they were changing with their their policies, and I, I believe it was it was regarding privacy. Um, so it's funny because we lose our privacy, but at the same time, like Facebook can't even take down the worst of the worst on their platform. Like, you know, there's human traffickers or like child pornography. Like even in my book, like Behind the Mask of Facebook, I talk about how there was an example of of child pornography in uh, Brazil, like where there was an album cover of a children's band and it had child nudity on it. And they, they literally made an exception uh, for that because of an art, because of artistic value. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's like, yeah, you have one job, like take down the, the worst of the worst, delete all like, you know, cartel content. I deleted a lot of cartel content, but yeah, 
if I'm going to lose my privacy, like at least like go hard. <laughs> I, well, don't do that for the beginning. But if I'm going to lose it, then at least take down like the really bad people on the internet. Right, right. At least use it for good. Oh my goodness. What do you say? Like I, I have people in my life who will say, oh, well, I have nothing to hide. You know, and they say that with regards to social media platforms, with regards to government, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of people in this country haven't really seen political persecution. We're beginning to see it now where the you know, Biden, Biden administration, the FBI is being weaponized against political opponents. So because I support Trump or, you know, now I'm being investigated. So you look at people like Roger Stone or you know the January 6th prisoners it's clearly political persecution I mean are you serious like and you can you can be you can be on both sides of this and look at it and be like hey this is not a good direction um you look at countries who've experienced this in the past like in Argentina like with Pinochet or I believe in Chile where you've had these dictators literally you know storm into people's houses and, and arrest them because of their political persuasion and that that's what we're seeing um so so yeah, it's definitely getting to the point where the Facebook's being used for this. I just learned that this story came out this last week on the New York Post, basically saying that um, was it face? Yeah, that yeah, Facebook users' info was being shared by Facebook to the FBI without subpoenas. And then finally, the FBI got a subpoena, and like Facebook already had all the data ready. Like within hours, they would they sent the the terabytes of data of these private messages of right-wingers um so so yeah it's and when i was there at facebook i'll pull up a section of my my book here um it, you know we, we looked for the word boogaloo so when i was there it, it was during when trump was getting impeached and there were some rallies and people were using the big word boogaloo to describe civil war and there, there'd be certain memes about it and so um <clears throat> Face, uh, my supervisor, Sean, so this is on page, uh, let's see here, 188 of my book. Basically, my supervisor was like, hey, you should let us know if you see any trending content about Civil War or Boogaloo. And he said, this could lead to real world harm if there wasn't something we put in place regarding this type of content. Um, so he's like, keep on sending job IDs. So, we, so Facebook, Facebook wanted these job IDs of what I was seeing. So they can see that all the stuff that's happening. Um, he said, I'm going to take a look at the jobs you sent. And if it's the Civil War stuff, I'm going to send it straight to Facebook. And so, and then he was like, some people are joking about Boogaloo. Some people are serious. That's the danger of leaving on the platform. Where is that line? So um, they clearly, Facebook clearly had an interest in these, this political content regarding Civil War, right-wingers. Um, and they even targeted, I just want to share this one example. Um, so they targeted like far-right extremism so they did this overseas and doesn't this ring a bell okay you know how like we have the military overseas you know attacking terrorists and now it's like the tables are turned now like we're the terrorists right so the same tactics being used that we used over years in foreign countries now are being now are being used on us so the same thing happened at facebook so facebook flagged right-wing extremist groups outside the u.s in 2018 and then they told us to collect like jobs, you know, content about that. Now, now the same thing's happening to U.S. citizens. They're they're um, 
there, it says in order to mitigate risk for Facebook, we are collecting job IDs that highlight trending content related to regional extremist groups and individuals. Um, and it mentions far right extremism and terrorism. So there we have it. But in an age where words don't really hold their original meanings, this becomes really problematic. I mean, if we lived in a healthier, um, more literate society where we all agreed on definitions of words, yeah, I would. I do agree that extremism should be flagged and controlled. Um, the problem is, is that I, I really haven't seen left-wing extremism be flagged or um, considered with the same weight as right-wing extremism. Right. And, and we should, we should be, you know, we should be concerned about extremism. Like if, if there's people outside my door, like trying to kill me because I'm a certain race, or even we look at um, mass genocide, like in countries like Rwanda and where they did, they did use the radio station. I think it was Rwanda. I could be wrong, but they used the radio stations to basically call certain types of people, groups of people, cockroaches, you know? Yeah. Okay. That we can see where that can go bad. So, um, but yeah, on both sides, there is extremism. Um, we've been, and uh, so in my book behind the mask of Facebook, I talk about, talk about that. So Antifa was never, you know, flagged as a hate group or anything. And there were many examples that I document of, of groups on the right that were classified as terrorist groups. And we know a lot of militias, there's an article from the intercept that came out last year, a lot of state militias have been flagged by Facebook as terror groups. And so, yeah, I mean, should Antifa and BLM be on the same list as like neo-Nazis? Actually, well, maybe not. Maybe there should be like, maybe there's some, be some different categories and substrations of categories, but um, there, there, are, there are threats from both sides. And it's, it's pretty clear, like from, um, from what I experienced that Facebook, veers one way they definitely target right-wing people um and groups more than people on the left yeah and what else do you know about um employees at facebook like their ability to read private messages which private messages might they read and why so um so in my role and the people that i work with so there's about a thousand of us reviewing content in just at that location so thousands and thousands of posts a day um, but we, so we couldn't review direct messages or, or click around someone's profile. That was more at the, you know, at headquarters. And there's probably only a few people who could do that. Um, I, I would imagine, but, um, as far as targeting, uh, like specific messages or types of messages, Facebook could choose what kind of content to dump into our queues. So they literally put all the, um, all the content regarding Greta Thunberg or any attacks on Greta Thunberg into our queue for an entire week. So they prioritize what we could review um, and that would include direct messages. So they could basically flag keywords and have their AI dump those into our queue to prioritize them. So that, that's one way where they're not necessarily looking at each direct message individually, but if there's keywords in those direct messages or posts, then, then they can sort those out. So they're already looking into your, all your messages so, so at this point, because of Section 230, does Facebook pretty much have free reign as to what they can look at? So um, I don't know if it's the Section 230 that protects them or the fact that they're a private company. And basically, when you sign when you sign the agreement, you're signing away like, all your rights, basically. 
but um, yeah, I, I, that's a good question. Like how would section 230 affect how they can go through your content? Because if I'm sharing a direct message with someone, I'm not posting it publicly, it's a private communication. So I would think that there would, there would be even more strict, I would think that would be illegal if they're going through and looking at your private messages. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure how 230 would apply to that. Yeah, I mean, a more traditional example is like, you're not supposed to open someone's mail, physical mail. Yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I know, I know if we, yeah, with section 230, I know like there, it's been misinterpreted. So they don't, the Good Samaritan part of the law really doesn't apply anymore to Facebook. That's why we're trying to get it reinterpreted and why we're suing the government. But um, yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, if I'm on a private forum, like if I'm on, uh, and if I'd send a direct message to someone, should the, they be able to read it? Because um, they're not really manipulating, like, they're not really, like changing the content or promoting it or the content, but they're, they are taking action on, on what I shared privately. I have heard rumors about text messages being or eventually going to be like it's a I don't know the government will be able to like edit your text messages I, I don't know if that's just a rumor or if it's actually happening oh yeah like like you're going so it's like the minority report you know it's like like they like the the pre-crime division right from that 2002 movie with Tom Cruise um like if you're typing something out like we already have predictive text so if you're typing something out it won't let you post it. Facebook already has it where if you try to type something out and it knows what you're about to type, it won't let you post it, I think. Mm. Um, oh, it catches it quicker now. Yeah. And so I can see that happening with text messages. That, that, is, that would be very frightening. Um, yeah, <laughs> that'll keep you up at night. Yeah. Um, well, since we, we just started talking about 2.30 again, I, I was mm -hmm. uh, pulling up another line from that same article from Human yeah. Events about the lawsuit. And it says, in his constitutional challenge, Jason Fick calls for 2.30 to be declared unconstitutional because mm -hmm. it deprives American citizens through private commercial entities acting with federal government delegated authority of their liberties and property without due process and violation of the Fifth Amendment and free speech rights in violation of the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. now, I mean, that seems simple enough, but obviously mm -hmm. the collusion is so grand and complex um, that's going to take a while to untangle this. Um, yeah. And, you know, untangling this collusion, I imagine is quite complex because we're dealing with complex systems it's not mm -hmm. just you know black and white and just separating um to two entities just like that so can you explain how your ofa proposal helps protect constitutional rights while also being beneficial for social media companies yeah so um with sex 230 and of course it's it's been misinterpreted many times since then uh but yeah this so jason fick and, and you can go to socialmediafreedom.org if you want to learn more about our nonprofit. jason's nonprofit. um uh, so basically jason independently of the nonprofit, he he rewrote section 230 so he rewrote the law and he's working with members of congress to see if we can get it introduced uh so that the so the law that as he wrote it would be 
that would replace Section 230. It would clarify the ambiguity, ambiguity of the text of the statute. And, uh, and I'll share this screenshot here in a second, kind of this circular, this loop, irre irreconcilable loop. Um, and it would prevent unlawful, arbitrary, and capricious censorship. It would promote uniform, uniform enforcement. So it's like, okay, you can't make a newsworthy exception to protect Don Lemon. And while at the same time, you're like, you know, going after right-wingers. Um, it would provide obligations and procedural safeguards and respect the rights of all parties. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's what the, the law that, we, that Jason wrote would do. Let me pull open that screenshot that would show um, kind of that irrecon irreconcilable loop. Okay, can you see that? Yes. So it's kind of a lot to digest. Um, it should just shows you how complex this law is. Um, but these are actual quotes from the law itself. And so if we start at the top, okay, so let's start at the very top left. So no provider shall be treated as the publisher of any content. So the, the thing that, that Jason found out is there's a difference between the publisher and a publisher. Um, because if, if I say the publisher, there's only one publisher. But if I say a publisher, then um, it can mean like multiple people. And um, <laughs> let's just go through this a little bit and try to uh, process a little bit. Um, no provider shall be treated as a publisher. So the publisher is correct. And then we go to the right one. So misread. So they misinterpret it. No provider shall be treated as a publisher of any content provided entirely by another. And so because if you go to the follow this to the right here, uh, so the Ninth Circuit misinterpreted it and it said uh, 230 protects all publication decisions. So you, they can restrict materials and also promote things. And then um, 230C2 is redundant. That, so there's another part of the law, 230C2, that's redundant with 230C1. So those two things on the right there. So 230 protects all publication decisions per section 230C1. And it also protects any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict materials, 230C2. So there's two parts of the law that basically say the same thing. Um, and then, so the fix is, by if we say 232C2 is not redundant, perhaps because they developed even in part third-party material. Um, so if, if even if, if Facebook developed in part any kind of material, uh, the, the Ninth Circuit Court is saying, Oh, that that's okay because they can they can it replies to all publication decisions, but um, but but if if they're doing that, then then under the definition of you now we're up here under two thirty F three, then they're an information content provider. So you can't be both. Like you're either like kind of like it's kind of like that platform publisher debate. Um, you can't be a publisher and a platform. You can't be both. And so if you're developing information, if you're like promoting content or censoring content, like or in developing that, then, then, then that's a problem. And so um, the last part there is statutory conflict. And this is, if this isn't making sense, that's, that's fine. It's, it's very uh, conflict confusing. But basically, um, the, and the last part, statutory conflict. So pub, all publication divisions, publication decisions are development in part of third-party material. Therefore, any secondary publication decision is information content provision. So that, that's, that's, that's part of our legal argument. 
Um, let me find the more, let me see if there's a more, a uh, little simpler diagram here. Give me one second here. One question I have is who decides what is good faith as part of 230C2? Any action right. voluntary taken in good faith to restrict materials? Well, that all depends on, that's subjective really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, good faith, it's, it's, I think there's a legal definition. So a lot of it is going through the, the you know, what is good faith means based on precedent and, and the law. And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to look up the what that means. But yeah, good faith is a very key word that they use there. And then good Samaritan is another one. Um, and so that just gives you an idea. Like if you're confused right now, that gives you an idea why 133 pages are needed in this lawsuit, this challenge against the government to fix the law. And um, yeah, so the biggest legal doctrine is obviously the non-delegation. We talked about the EPA and how Congress had that authority, they delegated that. And really Congress should be the one making those decisions. Um, can you imagine like Congress having their own little like subcommittee that's deciding every little tweet or post on Facebook and whether it should be allowed or not? Like, <laughs> It's kind of a funny, funny thought. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, let, let's bring this back to like everyday regular people and like what they can do and what their concerns might be. Um, yeah. Like for anyone who's been banned from Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, what do you foresee as a path to getting their accounts restored, either in replacement scenario of OFA or 230 mm -hmm. being declared unconstitutional? Um, and how could any of these outcomes affect the social media landscape at large? Yeah, so I mean, as users, like we, you know, people, many thousands of people have been banned by by social media, and it's funny because with Twitter being bought by Elon Musk, a lot of people are like, "Oh, Elon Musk, yeah, he's going to protect our free speech." But I don't think we should believe in like one person or savior. Like, you should, we shouldn't be like, we shouldn't have to rely on like a, you know, a generous king who's going to save all of the peasants from from tyranny. Um, we really should you know, fix the laws. So we're, we're working on that. on that. There's many lawsuits going on to protect our rights as users of the, of the internet and online. So there's a lawsuit against Google that I was involved with earlier with uh, Zach Voorhees. There's the Laura Loomer, Laura Loomer lawsuit, which I, I helped contribute to. But, but yeah, for the ordinary people, like, what do I do? Like, okay, right, Ryan over here, like, happened to work at Facebook and he's able to help with these things, things, but the everyday person, I think we can, you know, choose, we can join other, other social media sites. Um, we can support our, our politicians who, who actually have the backbone to try to change the laws in Congress. I'm not optimistic about that. Um, but we can also choose like social media sites that are blockchain based like Bastion, B-A-S-T-Y-O-N. Um, that are basically, you know, use the power of blockchains to avoid censorship and, and avoid being taken down. Uh, we need to move away from Amazon. It's hard to do because they have, you know, the Amazon servers and then the cloud, everything's controlled by that. So if, if someone decides that you're in a persona non grata, uh, they can take you down, the banks can take you down. And we see that with guns, guns now, with, with uh, guns, gun shops are being, you know, blocked by their banks. So, um, Really, we need to, we need to reshape society, and and you know we can, we still have a lot of power as consumers to choose different products and different companies that support free speech. Uh, so that would be a good place to start. Just start locally, you know, buy local, 
avoid the mega corporations like Walmart, Amazon, and uh, go, go above the list as much as possible. Yeah. And, and what is your advice to those of us still using Facebook, like me and probably like many listening? Like, do you think it's still safe to use? Um, can any individual take any little action to push back against the censoriousness on that platform? Um, I, yeah, I mean, there are there are ways to, um, I mean, if you're still using Facebook, it's, it's, I mean, people are still going to use it. It's kind of hard to avoid. And especially if you're a business, if you're a small business, I mean, it's still a great place to to find people honestly because people are still on there so um you know definitely definitely using so let's say you open up your browser and definitely change your browser so if you're using edge or chrome change from that and use brave or another browser that doesn't steal all your data so that, that just helps overall and then um yeah you change your search engine from google to swiss cows so even if you're on Facebook, and I think if you're on Facebook and you're using a VPN, it might maybe prevent how much tracking they can do. Um, so I would definitely just encourage using a VPN, whether on your phone or, or on your PC. It's just a good general practice and a good cybersecurity cyber practice. Um, so those are a few things we, we can do. And I wanted to highlight, because there was a, in your questions you sent to me, there was a really good phrase to use. Let me, let me try to find it. Um, I like the sensory, I like that phrase sensorious sensoriousness. Yeah, there's one phrase you, you mentioned in your questions to me that I really liked. You know, you use the phrase true content freedom. So I, I, I like that because true content freedom, that means like, yeah, I can share anything on social media as long as I'm not breaking the law. Like, um, and that's also the danger, I think, of these big companies with so many lobbyists in, in, in Congress. And it's what's happened in, in Europe. Like I can't. Like we may get to the point where Congress may pass laws where sharing misinformation is against the law. And that's what's so scary is where they get to the point where they say, where they, yeah, where they basically criminalize free speech. Um, and that's what's kind of frightening. It is, yeah. And it, it makes me and many really wonder what their incentives are in Congress and whatever, you know, whoever else is in the in the elites. Um, what's the incentive to stifle free speech, do you think? Like in even memes that are right-leaning or conservative or independent, just independent of the left? Yeah, I mean, the incentive, I think it's a cultural incentive. So uh, we, we see that these big companies, these big tech companies like um, Facebook and Silicon Valley, they, they, they do, they are influenced by the culture. So their incentive, I guess, is to be on good terms with the like the cultural movements of the time. Um, so, uh, for example, I worked for Uber for shortly in, in, in 2015 or 2016 as a contractor. I, I also drove, drove for Uber for, at one point, but I, I worked in their corporate office in Phoenix and I was a security uh, contractor. I basically reviewed accounts. Like if someone tried to steal your, your Uber account or you were locked out of your account, I would resolve that. So I was on the computer and um, they had a, I was, when I was at Uber, just a short period of time, they had someone come in for this Uber Hue. It was like their, like their group for um, diversity or whatever, right? Um, and so they came in and this, this lady literally talked about how they essentially blackmailed the CEO of, of Uber, Travis Kalanick, into donating money to like the Black Panthers. And they, they don't, yeah, so 
they and they got like a floor on the they got some kind of so much money from Uber they they built like an entire floor dedicated to Black Panthers at the section like some building is at some building in Sacramento California and the way they they described it was just like shocking like 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 okay yeah yeah you had so much pull and influence on these CEOs so that's like I couldn't think that's the incentive I don't know if it's blackmail or just them wanting to fall in but if like 95% of the people are left-leaning then you're going to want to that you already have an incentive to like push certain things or else you're going to get called out by black lives matter as like a racist you know and so i don't know if it's that more of a, out of fear or just want to be being be in favor with the good the good group the cool people um yeah so it's, that's that's one answer i guess as far as incentives but yeah why would you want to censor free speech i mean and uh i i I was gonna, you know, I I told you I don't really know much about China and the relationship, their relationship with Facebook, but we know that Zuckerberg does have a personal relationship with the president of China, and I mean they they definitely know how to do censorship. So uh, maybe there's some influence from there from China, but uh, it just comes down to control. I mean, it's a great tool. Facebook, if you're censoring people, it's a great tool for dictators, and if you're in South America and you you have a lot of people on Facebook, I would definitely want to, you know, I, if I was a dictator, I'd definitely want to hook up with Facebook and, and learn how to censor political dissidents. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, well, you're mentioning of China and you also mentioned Zach Voorhees. Um, yeah. That brings to mind some notes I had from private conversations with Zach. Um, as viewers know, I did have Zach on my show and we had a lengthy discussion about his whistleblowing of um, Google insider documents and so forth. Um, but Zach Voorhees, the Google whistleblower who is on my show and you know through Project Veritas, he tipped me off to so-called DEI initiatives. Um, that were implemented at Facebook and probably at Google. You know, there was some collusion going on there too. Um, according to the documents that Zach sent over, and I, I think these were the ones that you said were leaked anonymously to Project Veritas. Mm -hmm. um, according to these docs, more than 70% of Silicon Valley employees had H-1B visas in March, 2020. And at that time, Facebook was prioritizing applicants from China and Korea in favor of American applicants and instructed parts of their staff to not only inform other employees of their existence of the company's Diversity Initiative Board, DIB, on a need-to-know basis. So, you know, they, this was not transparent. It was just, oh, like, let, let them know that this Diversity Initiative Board exists only if they need to know, um, and not to inform employees of who is on the board at all. Um, so to your knowledge, I know you don't know a lot, but like, I mean, as, you know, yeah. as you hear this and as you reflect on these leaked documents, um, what else comes to mind about like possible collusion or an alliance between big tech and the, the CCP in China? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, you mentioned like these H1B visa programs and then, and we know that Silicon Valley, they hire a lot of, you know, people from India and overseas. And so, and I think it's cheaper for them as a company. Um, I mean, they already spent a lot of money as it is on, on uh, engineers. Well, like, like the average engineer probably, well, they make at least 100, 100,000, 150,000. So they can pay them much less. Um, so it goes into that greater conversation about outsourcing, right? And 
the the greatest place they outsource right now for 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 you know products or factories is is China, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, it just kind of goes to show like some of the, you know they don't want these things to be spoken publicly. So so how transparent is Facebook really being with their relationships and and their and who's influencing them? Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as a censorship tool, like Facebook's amazing. Like and going back to the origins of Facebook, is it being used by the you know CIA? I'm sure. I'm sure the the spy agencies love Facebook. It's a great way to get data. Um, but you know, this could be a move toward a social credit system. I mean, if you if in in China, of course, they would want to control as much of our political landscape and as much of our as much of our political narrative as possible. So, if you know, if they are pulling the strings, or if they are, if China is influencing behind the scenes, uh, I, I wouldn't. And, and if they're truly our enemy, so if, if I could keep, take control of the political narrative of another country, and control of what they think and what they speak and how they talk, then then yeah, I would I would go for it. So I, I think, you know, the fact that Zuckerberg knows the president of China personally, I think uh, President of China probably is the one initiating that and he's probably the one doing that for uh for and he, he probably he most likely has ulterior ulterior motives it's possible and there's plenty of commentary around tiktok um you know tiktok's ties to china and how popular it is with the kids here in the u.s and i mean that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down but i mean really yeah. what a lot of this boils down to is i feel like in a marketplace of ideas uh, it really should be enough for just the best ones to win out is mm -hmm. I feel like, and I, I almost like, I hear like the star spangled banner playing, you know, it's like, it's just so American though. Like the marketplace of ideas, like the freedom to tell your story, to share yeah. your perspective, mm -hmm. even, I mean, it's debatable as to like, whether we should have the free speech to lie and in what mm -hmm. context, but like, you know, in a way, yeah. Cause if, if someone is telling a flat out lie, then in a marketplace of ideas, you get to point to them and prove them wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes, I mean, I, I agree with you 100% what you're saying. And, and the fact that Facebook and Google have stifled so many startups and so they've, they've had just this anti-competitive criminal behavior towards other companies. Um, it just goes to show like their true values. They're not interested in, in the, the American spirit, in American values. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if I create a better product, that's great. But if I spy on my competitors and, and I basically, I mean, it's a huge antitrust violation, violation. And it makes me think of like Ayn Rand and, um, and uh, Atlas Shrugged, just like, you know, there should be, there should be competition and it's, yeah, there's just, these companies, they're not, you know, we could say monopoly, but they, they're actually duopolies and uh, Carnegie still had, had nothing on them. Mm, interesting. And if 230 is declared unconstitutional, do you foresee social media companies working even more diligently with news outlets and even political parties to further their agenda? I think they'll find a way to like to skirt around the guidelines and um, still exist. So, you know, there's already so much collusion and now they've had so much time even during the Obama administration, there was a revolving door between big tech and and the Biden the uh, Obama administration. So now with Biden, like, and with they 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 practiced a lot during COVID, so there's a very tight relationship. Um, so they're definitely gonna yeah they're definitely finding a way to to bypass it. And uh, 
yeah, it, at this point, it's it's hard to know exactly what they're going to do. But a company that powerful, that many lobbyists, um, they're always going to find a way to to thrive and survive, even if it means you know squ- squashing the rights of millions of Americans. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Um, do you think the Hunter Biden laptop and the Ashley Biden diary stories are a good example of social media bias? Yeah, yeah, they are really good examples. Um, so the, yeah, so Hunter Biden, so Zuckerberg, I want to mention this. So Zuckerberg got on the show with Joe Rogan, right? And he's like, oh, the FBI came to us. And I watched Fox News' coverage and and basically they're saying, oh yeah, the FBI is the bad guy. And yeah, the, the FBI is bad, the bad guy here, but the Zuckerberg and, and, and Facebook, I think they're more just as responsible. And it's not like it's a new thing for them to censor like stories that would damage the left. Like I have multiple examples in my book, um, Behind the Mask of Facebook here, uh, of them like, you know, choosing stories, censor, you know, trashing stories. Like, the biggest example is uh, there was a Trump supporter who got attacked and they took off his hat. This is back in like 2020, 2019. And, and Facebook's like, oh, you have to delete this video because the guy was cursing at a minor. But it's, it's showing you, it's create some support for Trump supporters. So that, that's one example of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, I was going to show, let's see, there was a post I made that kind of showed, um, I'm trying to think of, anyways, yeah, like, like, um, yeah, it's clearly collusion. So the FBI is basically instructing, like coming to the F- Facebook and be like, hey, you know, take down this post or there's some misinformation. And did Facebook feel like they had a duty to? Maybe, but the Facebook could have been like, well, we can't censor story. Like they, it, it, like Facebook can just do whatever they want. Like, and they can choose which stories are newsworthy or not. So I think the Facebook Zuckerberg was trying to like blame it on the FBI. They, they probably would have censored the story regardless. <laughs> Mm. Well, I mean, you you worked um, as an individual there, um, or contracted by them. So when when you were deleting posts and comments, did mm-hmm. some of your personal bias come into the work that you were doing? So yeah, it did it, it come into my the work I was doing. So there's always bias, and and we had a very detailed policy we had to follow. So it was literally so specific. I mean, we uh. We had definitions for everything. We had, you know, our operational guidelines. We had the, the F, our FAQ page, our, our known questions, and so it was almost like being a paralegal. Like it was to the point where I'm basically interpreting, taking a meme and applying a legal framework to a meme, <laughs> to the side, um, and uh, so, so yeah, it was, it's so detailed. It's like you know there's a meme of, of, a, of someone getting shot and you're like, oh, well, this person actually has a criminal record. So we're going we're gonna to allow this meme. Um, so yeah, the bias did creep in. I mean, if, um, and we, we, we had quality assurance. So we, you know, we, people were, we got graded on our scores. So I couldn't, it wasn't too easy to veer, like do things wrong, but, but if the people who make the rules are biased, then, Hey, I can be following the rules and hundred percent, but there's still, biased um so yeah something to think about and facebook is evolving or maybe devolving depending on who you're talking to um zuckerberg said on joe rogan's podcast uh, he was talking about the metaverse Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he said it came from the question of what would be the ultimate expression of using technology to be present with one another. And he said, no, it wouldn't be phones. It wouldn't even be a Facebook group. Um, mm-hmm. It would be the metaverse. Um, so being able to like uh, hang out with people in real time as holograms. Um, yeah, what do you think about this new chapter at Facebook? So I, I, th- I did some research a while back, and, and it, so the future of the metaverse is in gaming, okay? So if you look at the gaming industry, like Call of Duty, uh, it's, it's a billion-dollar industry. I actually play video games, uh, some. and so what I heard is that Facebook's really not well-positioned to, to, to capture the most, of that, most of that market. It's more of, uh, I think Activision or a few other companies have like, are in a are better position for that, um, for cloud gaming and, and that sort of thing. So I don't think, I think Facebook is just like, I don't know, just like, hey, we'll try to look at this a shot. Like people are buying real estate in the metaverse. Uh, but it, but it's, it's um, so I, I don't know how well it's going to fare for them. I mean, I don't think they're, I think it's just an adventure for them. But I think the creepiest part thing is that, that photo we have of Mark Zuckerberg walking down the aisle and there's like people with all their headsets on, right? And, and they're just like all zoned in. It really, it really is the Matrix. I mean, if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch the original Matrix movie and you'll be like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly what they're trying to do. Um, or if you watch the, there's a movie called Ready, Ready Player One, where basically in the future, everyone lives in like freaking like trailer homes <laughs> stacked like 10 high. And all you do every day is you live in the, basically the metaverse. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, if, if Zuckerberg in the future of in, in control of the future of humanity, I, I fear for our future. But I think there's enough of us that we'll get off the couch and stop watching Netflix to be able to hopefully make some affect some change. Uh, so I try to be a little bit like optimistic about the future, but at the same time, it's like it's tough when you have tech overlords not you know telling you that uh, telling you what to, what you can and can't say. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So where can people go to find out more about the work you're doing with Jason and this lawsuit? Yeah, so our website is socialmediafreedom.org. Uh, yeah, so socialmediafreedom.org. Um, and Jason Fick is, is the founder, F-Y-K. Um, and then my, uh, yeah, so you can find more information there. And my, my personal website is ryanhartwig.org. And my book is uh, Behind the Mask of Facebook. Um, So I have some information in my book about Section 230, a a small chapter about it. But um, but yeah, Jason, we're doing some great work. Hopefully we'll hear back and see if we get like a, you know, an emergency case with the Supreme Court. But we really need to attack Section 230 from every angle. And uh, it's probably one of the biggest issues um, that we have right now. Yeah, it's exciting. I can tell you're kind of fired up about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just remembering now that you asked what platforms this will be on. This will actually be on Facebook as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There we go. It'll be very meta of us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on with me tonight and we will stay in touch. Keep me updated on this, la- on this lawsuit. Thank you, Sienna. Yep. My pleasure. Take care, Ryan.